We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Cal fans? We are depressingly back. And this is going to be an apology episode brought to you, of course, by the Golden Bear Cast, proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am one of your, the co-hosts, Andy. Alongside me is Rob, who is in HD, by the way. HD Rob is here. I am in HD. Well, let me just start off by saying this will be a depressing episode in which we'll probably have to talk about a lot of things that are pretty big downers. Yeah. I think ultimately I came on this last week when I was in Orlando and I said that there was no way that we were going to (laughs) lose against Colorado, particularly because... They were the worst team in the Pac-12, and they were turning over their coach. I should have known better. We never win out of the bye week with Wilcox, ever. So why would I think we would win? That was dumb. I don't know why. And then everything I said about a a, a bottom team that was 0-5 turning it around under another coach. You know, it's hard to actually understand. Did Colorado turn it around, or did just Cal just show who they really were? Both? Is that a cop-out answer? Yeah, you're definitely giving me the get out of jail for yeah. that. I mean, but relatively speaking, I think it is both, right? I mean, I don't know if you watched like the the very beginning of the game, but like they were, or I don't know when they showed it, but like what they were showing was like Mike Sanford was like going out to the frat houses, like the frat row, and yes, trying to galvanize like some of the some of the frats to come out, you know, to the game and support the team and whatnot, and. I think that's that's a big tell. Like if your interim head coach is doing all that just to get the fan base galvanized a little bit, saying, "Look, like it's not great right now, but we're gonna still like you know put out our best foot um, when we get out on the field." And he did that over two weeks, and I think that they bought in. And I don't know, maybe they showed the tape of like us losing to Arizona last year and be like, "Look, they were winless, and here's the team that we can we can get them." Like. We just got to be able to execute. We got to want it more. And 
it felt like that, right? It felt like Colorado wanted to win more than we did. Um, we looked a little lackadaisical out there, for for lack of a better term. Um, and that's kind of how the game went. I mean, to go to overtime with this team, like, with the talent level that they have compared to ours, like, just, yeah, it's... It's just, it's disappointing. I think that's the, ultimately, that's the word that always comes to mind. Like, I'm not sad. I'm not upset. Like, it's just disappointing. You sound downtrodden. It's, <laughs> it sucks. It sucks being here. And like, you know, I think, I think you and I have found a good medium of like, like a middle ground, right? Of like, look, we're going to experience the highs of the highs. We're going to experience the lows, but, like, we won't let the lows affect us to the point where it's, like, devastating our day, devastating our week, right? We've 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 experienced enough Cal seasons and, like, letdowns that we found a good cadence of how to process these losses, process, like, a down season, and then kind of just, like, move on with our lives without it having affecting too much. But this type of loss is just like, I tried my best not to think about the game. I stayed off Twitter all day yesterday. I didn't dive into the comment section of the site at all. And, you know, overall, I had a, I had a pretty good day. Uh, but this morning, like just talking and texting with you and talking to some of the writers and like, there's some cold, hard, like reality facts that we're going to need to face. And I think, I don't want to speak for our listeners, but I think some of our listeners like look to us for a little bit of that processing info of where do we go from here? And mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're going to have to talk about. Like ultimately I want to talk about the game first then because I think that that former question is going to be the bulk of our conversation, but we still need to to hash out what we witnessed on on Saturday afternoon. Well, you give me way more credit than I'm deserving of. Because it, I was also downtrodden after that game. And I was like, what do I do? I had fun, and I was able to kind of move around it. And I texted you that the Dodgers losing and being beat by the Padres, that if that was the sac- if the Cal game was the sacrifice that I had to make, then I was willing to make it. But it doesn't make it any easier. I mean, the Niners looked like Cal today. Oh I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices that went into the Padres winning <laughs> that I had to make. But at the end of the day, the Dodgers have been eliminated, and that's really priority number one right now. But I woke up this morning and felt just terrible. I mean, it was like I couldn't believe it. And I had to, so I rewatched the first half. You rewatched just to make sure. the first half? Yeah, I rewatched wow. the first half just to try and. Make sure that my mind was right and I had, I had the full picture of, you know, sometimes when you're in the moment, you're you're seeing things. Sorry, that's my dog who's now <laughs> sleeping. Um, but yeah, uh, it was hard. It was hard. I want it's, It was weird. Like, I don't really miss Twitter that much, but I wanted to talk about this more because I think I needed some sort of release. Yeah, some outlet, right. I was really hoping that, like, Avi would have written his article by now he does he has something <laughs> because, in the works i know that much i don't know if it will be out by the but, time people are listening to this yeah I, I was really hoping to like have something to engage with you know i did jump into the comments and a couple one person actually 
tagged me in a very nice way about like, hey, has, has your opinion changed? You know, back in our one from two yeah. weeks ago in our podcast post from two weeks ago. And, you know, I think that's something that we'll dive into here shortly. But overall, I mean, this is a... This is a this is a program killing pro- loss. <laughs> like yeah. it is a regime killing loss. There's no other way to put it. And like I also think we need to acknowledge I was very adamant that down 40 players that going to Arizona that that's too much adversity for any team to overcome. And I'm not so sure if I believe that anymore. I think that wow. that this has we looked just as inept in this game in many, and it, it, not just as inept. We looked way more inept at Arizona. But, like, to the people that were saying, like, you go to that Arizona game, and if you're truly the better team, like, you find a way to yep. win. And, like, what drives me insane about this team that we're watching this season is they don't have the kill mentality. I said this, and I swear I said this against UNLV. They just don't have it. They don't fucking have it. Well, you can edit that out. I mean, it's, an, so, it's an explicit podcast, so, you know. Oh yeah, I saw like we our yeah. rating changed. I was like, that's definitely my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so it's super frustrating um, to for especially for me, you know, as an athlete. Like, not that I have that kill switch. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, and like I don't pretend to be, you know, an all star athlete. But like, you know, you know, if you play competitive sport, when you have an opportunity to really put your foot down and take the air out of your opponent. And it sounds like really dramatic, yeah. but that is what it is. And as I was rewatching the first half, what was so frustrating to me it was like, I think Wilcox like has to own that he miscalculated the opponent. Yeah. I think that they, when they went in and went for a 54 yard field goal, why are you giving it? Like, you see Sanford after we miss that, and he's fist-pumping up and down the sidelines like a madman and firing his team up. So what is he doing? He's building belief, Yeah. right? Okay, thematically, I'm going back to the UNLV game. What was the thing that I saw that UNLV had the entire freaking game? Belief. They had belief. We never take the belief away. So then, okay, we go for the 54-yard field goal. Then what do we do? We get down to the 20, and we go for it on fourth down. So we have an opportunity right now to go up three and have Colorado look up and be like, we're losing again. A team that's 0-5, looking up at the scoreboard and say, we're losing again. Okay, well, if you look up at the scoreboard and see that you're losing again, and you're already 0-5, what do you start to to doubt? You start to doubt your success. Oh, Carmel didn't like that one. (laughs) (laughs) And then then, so we go for it. We don't get it. Great. What did you do? Fuel to the frick, to the damn fire. And then you come down and you get the ball with what down to the 16. And then I think there was a penalty yep. that must not have been in the and that pushed us back. And you go for the field goal again and you miss it. Okay. Three strikes. Belief, belief, belief. Now if I'm Colorado, I'm like, we're in this game. Yep. There's no convincing me that we're not yep. in this game. Instead, even if it's 6-0 or 3-0. 3-0 would have been significant. 6-0 would have been significant for that short period of time. 6-0 would have been more significant. We're being shut out. Cal defense is dominating us. We, they already have a turnover. We're not getting any first downs. Like, 
there is a narrative that starts to be that starts going yeah. that is far different. And so we don't get that. And then the rest of the game is a rock fight. How many times have I watched this happen? UNLV was the exact same game. It was so frustrating. We never took out. UNLV went up 7-0, right? We never took the wind out of them, the air out of them. And therefore, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And it just spirals out of control to the point where now they're playing at our level we're playing down to their level because now we're doubting ourselves a little bit and you have these stupid games where a team like cal coming off of a bye week into an 0 and 5 colorado ends up going into overtime and the worst part is like we should have won this damn game in regulation yeah that last like first of all the latu fumble was devastating i don't think i have ever thrown my cow hat as hard as i threw that thing and i also punched a chair and i thought i broke my finger that fumble was infuriating and i don't really blame klecky that much but like it's situational football and the two yards that he's trying to gain there versus the overall situation just get the hell out of bounds like, that's the way I look at it. I understand, but, like, Kalecki, dude, let Jermaine Terry be the one that's going to bowl over some people for some extra yards. For your sake, just, like, get out of bounds. Like, you're – and it, and then on top of it, you have this drive downfield and get all the way down there with an opportunity to win the game. And you run – like, first of all, you don't get Jaden not the ball. I don't care if you're not successfully running the football all game. He looked better yeah. in the last three drives that Cal had than he had most of the game. And get him the damn ball in space. I don't care. It doesn't matter if you're not running the ball well. I need Jay yeah. not to have at least one possession in the red zone with the game on the line. That's a criminal offense. A Marshawn-level criminal offense. Then you run a two-receiver rollout to the right side. Yep. With... Like seven Colorado defenders there. Two receivers. That was the dumbest play. And then Plummer is throwing the damn ball in the air like we're down a touchdown. As if it's like, oh, just Hail Mary, just toss it in. I don't know what was going on there. If he's trying to throw it away and it didn't get enough arm on it. I am shocked that Wilcox didn't pull him over and just try to get his head straight and be like, yo, stop doing that. After the first time he did, be like, understand the situation. Understand the assignment. And then, obviously, the sack, because we have the worst O-line in the history of football that I've ever, ever seen in my entire life. So you have that, and like to me, that's where the game's lost. Second, we didn't score there, scored the touchdown. I was like, you know, we're going to overtime. You said it, right? It's a loss the second you're going to overtime. It's a loss to be that close, but like it was really the loss the second we went to overtime. Yeah, I mean, the narrative just started to spin and spin and spin. Like, I think what you said was what you said at best, like the the taking the belief out. Like, I think we're so good, and you got to give credit, right? We're so good when we play a team that's better than us, right? And we make them think, oh, shit, right? We're so good at that. We're such a good team at that. Yeah. To, to, to start to put a, like oh, crap, we could lose this game. You And you put those seeds of doubt in, in the those types of teams. 
But the opposite end of the spectrum, what you're talking about, is what we're so bad at. We don't know how to come out at a team that thinks they're going to lose. Right. We only know how to attack teams that think they're going to win. Right? And I think that that's kind of what you saw in the UNLV game, too, is the team that team had belief the entire game, and then we started to turn it up. And we started to be like, look, they, till the very end, was just, now nah, we got this. The Mason Starling overtime catch was probably, for me, the microcosm of that. It's just lackadaisical. I caught the ball. No one's going to tackle me. Like, I'm not, like, just, it's here. Like, I'm landing. And, like, not considering, like, someone's going to try and tackle him or anything of that sort. Um, to not? Yeah. And it's just... Just to, just to say, like, to not... And the thing that I was so pissed about that play was, first of all, as a receiver, I know that you can read when a ball is being zipped at you versus when it is being floated yep. in your direction. That ball was floated yep. in his direction. Floated. It was also yep. not high. So all he had to do was he should be running towards that football because how are you not how how are you not like how are you so confident that that's not going to be intercepted on a ball like that with yeah. that little on it? I mean you have you're taught to move towards the football and yeah you're taught to attack the pass he just right attack the sits ball. there for ages and ages and then holds it out like a birthday present. <laughs> Like he needed to take a half a step or turn a shoulder, and that's a touchdown. But still, I don't even. The crime is the overtime. We lost. You know what yeah, I mean? Uh, absolutely. Like, even that absolutely. play and like Kalecki not catching it on the fourth down play. It's like, yeah, we could have bailed ourselves out of that situation, but we had the opportunity to never even be close to that situation to begin with, and we just don't take it. And I think that's what's so frustrating. You know, you know, honestly speaking, the gut feeling of me looking back at because I was on the live stream with Christopher um, Christopher Zhang, and I remember the first the first drive of the game. Right, we get the ball, and this is kind of where the inklings started to set in my stomach of we could, we're going to lose this. Is first down, you hand the ball off to Jaden. What does he do? He runs it, gets you ten yards, another first down, right? What do we what do we proceed to do? Pass, pass, pass. And then we're out and we're punting. And that's the moment where I was like, oh God, this game plan's done. It's absolutely done. Like he ran for ten yards. You like I think a lot of football fans that have watched a lot of football in their life, like what what would you do in that scenario if you're the offensive coordinator? I think most of us would say you run a hurry up and you just run the damn ball because they they gave up 10 yards on the first run and now you're just going to push that until it stops working. Not trying to do this galaxy brain stuff of like, oh, now they're worrying about the run, so now we're going to pass. Like if it if you ran a play action off of it, like you know, let's say on second down, because now they're like, oh, they're gonna try and run down our throats, that works. I'm fine with that. You're keeping the defense honest. But then you go like empty set, or you have pistol, and you like don't even look like you're gonna run, and then you just start throwing passes left and right, and then like Plummer did not have a good day passing the ball either. Like just, I mean, whether it was. 
I mean, you saw the brace on on the knee that he hurt, mm-hmm. right? Um, or the leg that he hurt at the Washington State game. So, like, whether that was, you know, just throwing off his rhythm, maybe he wasn't able to pre- put pressure on that back, uh, on that foot. Um, who knows? But, like, some his throws, some of these were just, like, thrown way above, way outside. Like, just the timing and the location and the placement of some of those balls were just off. Like, even the Mason Starling throw, like, I have seen him zip those types of balls in, like just beeline, because there was no one to throw to, or there's no one in front of him. If he beelined it, like that's just that's just a catch in the chest, right? But like even that, he was like he was moving and throwing, and I think that's maybe what threw him off. Like I don't, of course, we won't know the the injury details, um, but like all of those things combined just started to to creep in and into your, you know mindset of just going uh this is not looking good for us the defense held the defense held and held and held and held and held until it finally broke i can't you can't i I honestly i cannot blame the defense for this game they did exactly what they were supposed to do they got you enough stops enough turnovers like enough moments for you to be able to do something with it and then you just come out there and then you give Jameson Sheehan basically an NFL combine look. <laughs> like I love that. One of the recaps was like, I think Ferrata wrote this. He was like, Jameson Sheehan still is a candidate for postseason honors. It's like, fuck's sake. The, um, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. It's just, this is the, this is the crux of this team of the last two years, which is the defense comes out, smacks the opponent in the face, and says, we're going to stomp you today. And the offense goes back out and was like, just kidding. We're super on board to uh, for you to continue to get more shots at us. And it is so hard to watch because you find you, – as a fan, I mean, if you were to tell me that we we're going to go out there, we're going to go three, three and out their first two possessions and then throw an interception in the other one, and we were going to get like near red zone on every single possession, I would have thought we were up 10-0, maybe even yeah. 17. And like, that's exactly what it should have been. That's exactly I mean, what probably the team that plays Colorado next week will do to them. And I like appreciate Sanford and what he's doing for the program, but like, this is not going to age well. I cannot imagine that this ages ages well. I don't think that the team that gave up like hundreds of yards to Air Force has all of a sudden turned a corner with a new coach. <laughs> it's just it's just not plausible. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you saw like like even Colorado on offense, right? They were throwing everything like at the wall. They were throwing trick plays. Like, first drive, was it the first drive or the, their second drive? They just come out and just throw a 40-yard bomb, right? Just attempt it. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. They're just, they have nothing to lose. And that's the scary part about, like, a team like this. It was the same thing about the Arizona team, too. Like, when a team is this backed up, they're just looking for the win. So they're not going to be conservative at all. They're not looking ahead to next week. They're not looking ahead to, like, okay, let's look at the standings here and, and whatnot. Like, is this a must win or should win? Every game is a, we need to try and win this. And we're not saving anything. 
And then it got everyone galvanized. Like the trick plays and everything. Granted, one of the trick plays didn't really work out, but sold out. Sold out. It just gets the fan base up and excited. And it gets you a little bit out of your seat. There's a little bit more electricity running through that stadium that, that afternoon. And credit, credit to those Colorado fans for showing up and like being awesome to see. Yeah, it really was. It was pretty impressive. I mean, we've seen 0-2 Notre Dame and an 0-5 Colorado out attend us at any of our games. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think, says a lot about where we're at as a football program. All right. Um, Let me run through real quick. Oh, so. I think so. Do we have any questions about the game? Like, Cal's only road win in overtime in its program history was 2011 at Colorado. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Tedford's yeah, last? Was that the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that in, was pretty... In, in his last few seasons? I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, Actually, I think I remember that Yeah, game. I mean, there's some random stats, but like it doesn't really matter because ultimately it was an embarrassing loss. So... Not gonna go into that. Uh, questions. I mean, of course, this is one of those games where everyone is gonna like wants to chime in. Um, let's see. There's nothing particularly about the game. It's mostly what you what you would expect, which is about the future, where we move, um, and so on. Um, Oh, okay. Sid, Sid asked something kind of along those lines. She says, uh, in my opinion, the worst loss of the season at this point. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best for the rest of the season. How many fans do you think will be in the stands for the UW game? Also, I'll see you all next Saturday. Go Bears. Very cool. Go Bears. So kind of about it. Everything else is more like big picture stuff. Fans but. for next week. I know I'll be there. I know some of the usual suspects will not, which is mm-hmm. looking like a good decision for you all but it'll be a 7 30 kickoff pack 12 after dark how many fans i don't know probably about 30 probably thirty thousand. i yeah luckily there's not a huge slate of competition right now like it's just like the warriors both the the giants and the a's are not in the postseason so and then you know niners are home on sunday i think you you might get 35 35 to 38 Something like that. Yeah, it's it's UW. It's the first it's night Fox. game of the season. I think you'll you'll still get a yeah certain amount of people. Fox or ESPN? Oh, I thought it was Fox, but I think ESPN. Wrong. I thought it was ESPN. Either way, it's the primetime game for West Coast. Um, yeah, there's that one. There's one more. Uh, Joe Kenyon said it's a sad thing because we all like Wilcox, but as a fan base, we need to call for a change. But like you said in a previous pod, instead of rejecting mediocrity, we turn the other way and just forget about the team. So my question is, do you think we beat UW? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I watched that uh, UW game, UW Arizona. Their defense is not good. Yeah. But no. it just doesn't follow the game script that I like. Look at what Colorado did. Colorado, no. in my opinion, like their game plan was pretty simple. They're going to sell out against the run. And try to disrupt our O line as much as possible, which is exactly what happened. Ultimately, also said, and we're going to make you win this game by passing the football, and we couldn't do it. So even if Washington's defense yep. is bad, 
that game plan is very simple. So if that game plan has been successful, Washington State executed that. Colorado's executed that. UNLV might have executed that. Like <laughs> at this point, it's like, great. If I'm watching them, I'm like, this is easy. I just got to send additional pressure to get pressure on the quarterback. As soon as Plummer starts going the other way, bad stuff happens for Cal. And as long as we keep Jade not contained, we're going to win this football game. It just doesn't follow the game script. So it's very hard for me to look at this and say that Cal can beat a UW team that I think is pretty vulnerable to a degree. They're not great. They're not elite. Yeah. This isn't elite UW. This is like, this is a beatable team, especially at home. Yeah, I think um, the one thing I'll say, I'm not sure if we'll beat UW or not, but I did I did say yesterday, like, UW, Oregon, SC, UCLA, because they're good right now, F. Um, we're beating one of those teams at minimum. Like, that's just Wilcox's narrative. There's always one of those games that we don't think we're going to win mm-hmm. because we look so outmatched, and then we somehow pull it out. I guarantee yeah. you we're getting one of those wins this against one of these teams. That doesn't help the overall like trajectory of this of the season, but it's just it's just in the cards, and it's just how these teams, how the Cal teams have played over the last five to six years. That's a good point. I think that's a hundred percent accurate. But I still think like our ceiling on this season's oh yeah, five it's and not, seven, maybe. I mean, four yeah, the floor eight. has dropped to what three and nine, right? The yeah. floor has dropped to three and nine. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. There's that. I mean, do you want questions or do we want to go with like a little spiel on where we go from here and just your thoughts? Yeah, let's do a couple of questions okay. to guide us. I'm just gonna go in order. All right. That cool with you? All right. Uh, yeah. David Freed tweets at us. Troy Taylor six and zero. All right, then our friend uh, Gerardo messages us. I know you guys don't like the backup QB conversation, but the sentiment with Milner was that Musgrave got his guy. When do you see it? Uh, our wide receivers are the best position group, but Plummer spends more time spiking the ball a few yards in front of them than hitting them in stride. I never really thought I would be out on Wilcox, and yet here we are. He hasn't elevated the program. It sucks to say that the Dykes era at least produced some fun and excitement. Go Bears. Go Bears. Ah. <sighs> I don't know, man. The backup stuff, the backup stuff with Kai, like you saw him in camp. I, Plumber to me is is clearly better. I I still think that the the level of difficulty on the throws that Plumber is asked to make is higher than what we were seeing with Garbers, and I believe in his capability to make those throws. At the same time. I, I just don't know. It'd be one thing if Kai was like super mobile, then I would say, yeah, he like gives you a wrinkle that you don't already have. And that would then at a time where you have a terrible offensive line and you've scored two touchdowns in the last two weeks. Yeah. You'd probably go for that because you just try to find a wrinkle that's different. But if Kai is 96% yeah. the same, and younger and more inaccurate. Like I just wasn't impressed with what I saw at Washington State. Those weren't good balls. Those weren't accurate. They weren't any better than what we've seen. I, I've been with the program long enough to know that like I, there's backup quarterbacks that I was working with that people were clamoring for. 
the you know over certain seasons when Riley was at QB and I was like y'all are just not in practice I see these guys throw every single day Riley's leaps and bounds ahead of them and like I would tell the guys like in the fraternity to come back and be like hey like what about x quarterback like you know and I was like there's not it's not even close it's not even close so Kai is young he is young so it's yes he was the the choice of Musgrave, but I don't think he's ready. Well, he wasn't really the choice of Musgrave either. Like he committed under Baldwin. If I'm no, I uh, thought he was Musgrave's. Or no, sorry, he he committed under Musgrave, but the 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 road work that was done on him was mostly under Baldwin. Yes. Um, I would say the only way I see this happening is if we're mathematically out of bowl game contention. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yep. I could see it happening if we're mathematically out. Because th- at that point, you're not playing to win games. Right? Like, you don't need... You don't you don't necessarily need those wins. Like, you could potentially take the loss and it won't really affect your season because you're already out of bowl game contention. So, Yeah. That's the only way I could see Kai being thrown in there and being like, here, get four games. It doesn't burn your red shirt. And actually, did he already use his red shirt? He might have already used his red shirt. Um, yeah, but here, get game experience. We'll see if, let's see if he sink or swim. Yeah, he uses, he's red shirt freshman right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's already used his red shirt. So yeah, that's the only way I could see that happening. Um, yeah, I mean, we can move on to some other ones. Peter messaged us he says do we agree that the issues with the o-line stem from poor o-line recruiting in the 19 and 20 cycles where ryan lang Braden rome brian driscoll were taken in as um offensive tackles and then with driscoll now playing center can we yeah at center question mark can we expect jackson brown to step in for uh tj sessions who has been inconsistent all year long jackson brown's true freshman yeah once again, I would say that last part, if we're mathematically out of bulking contention, I don't see why not. I don't think McClure can have a job come tomorrow. It's Sunday right now. If yeah. he has a job tomorrow, I'll be shocked. There have been O-line coaches fired for far less than this line. I mean, this is without any doubt the worst offensive line I have ever seen in my entire life. Ever. Period. Like, I don't understand how he could possibly be employed come tomorrow. And, like, I've searched online already. I was actually pretty surprised it wasn't announced today. But... Whatever, I don't know what you possibly do, but I think the entire system is broken. This is a system, this is a systemic problem, and this system with this line is like watching paint dry. I mean, it is just so vanilla, so boring. It's not like vanilla in the sense of like what they try to do, but like what ends up happening is yeah, just the execution so part of bland. <laughs> I, I yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know like, how this you is, fix it. I you can't. 
but like you have to if you want to try and salvage the season you got to try and do something right like i think that's why i brought up the whole like why not give mike saffle a try at o-line for the rest of the year like like all of the points who plays on the line um he's gonna be able to coach them up a little bit more in in his own style um and who knows maybe he's picked up some things from steve greatwood that he's gonna bring in right like who knows i don't know that's i'm just i'm spitballing here at this point but that's what I, that's exactly what i'm trying to say is it can't it can't be worse we're already at the lowest can't level, possibly be worse right yeah so yeah i think so to go back to peter's question this is rock bottom it does go back to that um it does go back to knowing that the 19 and 20 cycles were going to be integral to a line that was already aging come the 20 season and the 21 season that we were going to have to replace some of these guys and not recruiting properly. Or, I mean, let's, let's say we recruited properly. Let's say those guys, when we brought them in were the guys that we wanted and like we had done it right. Then what does that point to? Then it points to the development. Like it's it's either or, or maybe both. But I'd like to I'd like to think that our targeting of players and like identification of who we want is solid. And if that's the case, then it comes down to to player development. Yeah, and we lost Matt Tower last season, which hurt a lot. Yeah, we could use him badly right now. I mean. I mean, but to be totally frank too, like his, if he had, if he was still here, that really still doesn't alleviate our issues, which are at tackle. Correct. So like it's, <laughs> it, does it show up our guard line? Sure. But like you could argue that, you know, a lot of the guys on the O-line are better suited at guard than at tackle. We don't necessarily have a true tackle. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, yeah, um, that's that. Uh, thanks, Peter. We talk all the time, but... Um, Shavit. Your dear friend, Shavit, a lot of talk this week about resources at Cal with the new NIL world in recruiting, which is clearly not working out so far. Is there any hope for wealthy alumna who are around for the Tedford years stepping up? 
He has another question, but I'll I'll we'll go with that one first. Another week and another great question from Shavit, so keep them coming. I definitely had that thought today many times. It's almost like who's gonna be our savior? But I think fundamentally, if you think about like what Dykes is saying, look, Dykes's comments I think are largely garbage. Just because it's like how many times I don't know, like at least I can say this. Like you leave an employer, you didn't have success there, and you just it's easy to make backhanded comments that are like half true or not even true what at all, just to sort of say like to dismiss your failure. Like people aren't like always willing to just come out and be like, I didn't succeed there and I own that. That's actually something I respect a lot with Wilcox is he owns so much of this program, good and bad. And Sonny being in a really good situation and having a ton of success, the ego does not allow many people the privilege to go back and say, yeah, Berkeley was a tough place to win. I didn't have success there because of X, Y, and Z, and then have them say that it wasn't something that was an external factor. I think 99% of the people are going to be like, oh, yeah. And then it's going to be like that one situation that fits that narrative that it's going to bring up. Like, to me, that's that was my reaction to the Sunny comments is like, he's in a better place and he's happy and... You know, and then also, like, I know Leach Leach had made some previous comments about Cal. And, like, of all people to understand Berkeley, like, Mike Leach is literally in my, you know, the lowest of low that I would expect to understand that. Right? This dude is batshit insane. And I'm not even going to go into his political stances and all the problematic things that are and continue to be Mike Leach. So, yeah, I that, yeah, the sunny stuff. But I think... I think the one thing that that art that that view is correct on is that there does need to be sort of a foundational shift in maybe the way we look at kind of this program. I I don't know if Cal football is built to succeed in the world in which it is currently existing. Certainly not with this offense. <laughs> but even more so if you look at the changing nature and that should be to your questions, like with NIL and program support being so important. And I mean, let's look at Northwestern Northwestern's building a billion dollar stadium, billion dollar stadium with a B. I mean, just under, is it 790 million? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. What's, what's a quarter billion. <laughs> so it, they understand the investment. Something my dad said, which was really actually, I thought super insightful was like you can see the programs that have looked at football and understand that football drives brand football drives your college brand football drives your your admission brand football has an impact across many different areas and cal has long taken the stance against that trying to say we're going to live in this world where we have our cake and we eat it too we support our football program and we are a educational institution but northwestern who i look at private but you know academically on the same level as cal 
has taken a very different stance to that through where their money is being spent. And so I think you have this sort of crux that you have to contend with right now, whereas what do we want to be? Do we want to be an Ivy where we prioritize education and football is more of an afterthought? Or do we want to try and compete and leverage football as the revenue sport, as the brand, as you know, something where these alumni go in the NFL and that benefits UC Berkeley because people want to come. And it's not that we're not prioritizing education. We're just saying football comes first. And like I think that's very important to say. I don't expect yeah. the administration to be willing to do that. But yeah. I do think that's what's necessary for Cal to, to reverse what sort of has transpired. And compete in you know the tedford era is where everybody wants to be right we always use the tedford era as the example so i think like knowing that that's the goal i think that's what would have to happen would be berkeley coming out and saying we understand not mike williams understands because he understood it for all the things that he got wrong mike williams understood that football drove everything but the university didn't back that up so the university has come out and says Football drives everything. It's an important source of revenue for us. It's the main source of revenue for us. And it also drives our brand in X, Y, and Z areas. If they do that, I think then you start looking at this problem a totally different way. You you start getting very smart people that are super dedicated to making this happen. And there's no doubt in my mind that Sonny's original inclination on Berkeley, I believe the direct quote was, Berkeley is a sleeping giant. When he came to Cal, there's a reason why he was so optimistic about this job. It's right, like you can, we can all see it. It's right there. There's no competition. It's the only team in the East Bay that's like, it's just the A's, and the A's might not even be here. Like, there's literally no competition. You're in one of the most affluent and beautiful places in the entire world, and you are at the number one public university in the country it's not hard to sell but something's creating a lot of difficulty and you have to get that out of there and i just don't ever see that happening you need a seismic shift in the foundation right but like how does that happen as exactly as you said the likelihood of that happening is is close to none like the cold hard facts version of this is that you want football to be the primary then you need one of two things to happen you you have to cut sports and you have to reorganize your budget or two you need a massive influx of cash for your budget to be able to maintain said sports and increase the budget to be competitive in football right like peter put out a tweet today and he has a great article coming out tomorrow um, which I highly recommend everyone read. But like he tweeted this out in fiscal year 2020, right? Which is July 2019 to June 2020. Can you guess how much Cal spent on football coaching salaries just for that year? I already know. Oh, you, you yeah. already read the tweet? Okay. It's uh, 8.2 million. Okay. We were trying to figure out a good comp of a university. That would work to Berkeley. 
Um, and Utah was the one that came to mind. We just because the number it in on the this fan podcast base. all the time. Right, right. From a football perspective, too. I mean, granted, the I think there's a little bit of difference between the name brand standing from the academic side of it. But like, if we're purely looking at the football stuff trajectory, where they're coming from, size, Utah. In that same fiscal year, spent fourteen point six million dollars on coaching salaries. Oakland, because you know, it's just because it's the largest city that's like right next to Berkeley, is over fifty percent more expensive to live in than Salt Lake City. Cost of living calculator has uh, to maintain your standard of living in Oakland. If you're moving from Salt Lake City, you'll need a household income of three hundred fifteen thousand dollars. And so we spend a little more than little more than half of what Utah spends, but live and expect our coaches to live in an area that's twice as expensive. It doesn't add up. The math just doesn't add up. It it just doesn't. <laughs> and so like you're expecting you're expecting football excellence and production. And this is regardless of what Wilcox is doing, right? This is just from a, a budgetary standpoint. Like, you can't expect a program to compete with some of the best programs in the country when you're as much in some of those places. Maybe even three times as much, probably, if we want to really compare some of those other schools. So, that's the, there's, the, there's, there's the cold, hard divide, is what we've been talking about all this time. Peter's actually done the the brunt work. These aren't just like things we're rambling. Like these are actual numbers that we can look at and say that's exactly why we currently can't have. We're looking to strike gold. Like we're looking for lightning in a bottle, Tedford. We're not going to find it. It it doesn't work like that. And even if we do, someone's going to punch us in the mouth and take that lightning in a bottle away from us. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. Just like Kansas. Yep. It's just, it sucks, but that's just where we are. Well, let's take a broader look at like over implement. I mean, the implication of this loss in the program is hard to downplay. I I do want to just like one for those that were like, I've seen some pretty hardcore Wilcox defenders flip to the other, to the other side and say that he needs to be gone. I mean, first and foremost, there's Wilcox is not going anywhere. Rob, do you want to tell people why? I think so. Yeah. Once again, I think this was a this was a fan base losing loss with no with no excuses for this. Like Arizona, we could always toss up to. They didn't have half the team and half the coaching staff. Like that wasn't a that wasn't a career ending loss. But like this is an era ending loss. But the fact of the matter is, financially, we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to get rid of Wilcox because um, our dear friend Peter, once again, who is who wrote this, who wrote this beautiful article that'll come out tomorrow, right? Um, looked at Wilcox's contract um, compared to how much it would cost to bring in and how much we're spending currently on coaches. So you'd have to double up that money, right? Because not only are you paying out to Wilcox, but you need to be paying your 
coaches as well. So I'm just going to read hit this is if you're listening to this on Monday and the article's not out yet, you're getting a sneak peek look, but I'm going to read this word for word. Furthermore, let's assume that his average compensation is Wilcox would be 4.75 million a year from 2027 to 2020 2022 to 2027. On the most optimistic outlook, we assume offset language is 1 to 1 and that Wilcox is able to secure a defensive coordinator job at around $1 million per annum salary, highest-end estimate with Sherman's DC salary being $910,000. This means that until 2027, Cal will have to spend $3.75 million we'll need to make, uh, we will need to make to secure a coach who is at the same level with the staff he will need to succeed at Cal would mean the same, if not greater, salary pool. So let's assume a $9.25 million total with a $13 million total price tag. This would mean finding another approximately $5 million a year. One could argue that in lieu of the buyout, Cal ought to save the money by hiring a cheaper head coach. But any fan of men's basketball can tell you what happens when one hires on the cheap for a key sports program <laughs> for collegiate AD. White King, baby! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so Wilcox isn't going anywhere. And I think that's super important. And people can talk about Troy Taylor, 6-0, and yeah, I mean, it sucks. The reality is Troy Taylor would be a great candidate. And I think Ron Rivera is probably going to be available too. So I think Ron Rivera would also be uh, potentially a fun option as a collegiate coach, someone that could be like an actual like stand-up person version of Herm, you know? that's That financially, would he be even worse? Oh, because think about it. Yeah, because you're because not only do you like I could you could somewhat argue that like, okay, maybe you get Troy Taylor at a little bit of a cheaper rate and then just say that you'll give him a bigger like you'll hike up his at the extension. But Ron Rivera's salary commitment is going to be <laughs> yeah. absolutely ginormous. So to, to be paying, we're not going to be paying just uh, 13 million dollars a year. That includes Wilcox's contract. That's that could probably balloon to a very significant amount. Very quickly. So you're asking donors not only to pay your former coach for not coaching, but to pay even more so that you could bring Ron Rivera. I guess you could argue and you could convince the the high donors that you're paying for Ron Rivera. But, like, that's still a gamble. The dude hasn't coached collegiate football in years. Like, he's up there in age. Could he really go through the vigors of college recruiting, especially, you know, with the health scare that he had last year, the year before? So... There's a lot of questions around that. Like, I get from a football's perspective and his ties to the university would be perfect. But, yes, please continue. I didn't mean to interject. No, it's great. I mean, ultimately, it's just – it's the Dennis Gates situation all over again. Except I still don't think we're in a Mark Fox situation, although it's hard to not look at this team and say that we're at the bottom of the Pac-12. I still think we're above Colorado even though they beat us. And I still think we're above Arizona. Well, we're definitely above Arizona. Yeah. So <laughs> – I think I, I think we're I think we're sitting at eleventh tenth. Tenth, yeah. You could argue maybe ninth or eighth, but yeah, tenth. It was truly a regression to the statistical mean, or to to like we really just regressed to like where all the advanced stats were, which is hilarious. But yeah, nonetheless, I mean, Wilcox isn't going anywhere. So the situation that ev- everyone is saying it doesn't really matter. Like that's why when people are like, "Well, are you out on Wilcox?" It wouldn't matter if I was, because. It's not a realistic situation. So then I just would be in a point of then having to sit there and say, okay, what crazy scenario can I draw up where we get a new head coach in that isn't actually like... 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's just not based in reality. So if it just doesn't do any good. And so I think as it, the question is, how do you solve this? And for me, it's like, we're going to have to hope that the third time is the charm. The yeah. frustration that I have right now is that, you know, I remember distinctly, Rob, after the USC game, you said, we've seen enough of Musgrave. His contract's up. I hope that, you know, we, it doesn't... It, Let him we, go. We can get out of this without paying any other any additional money. Right? His contract was done. The season was over. Rob was like, we saw enough. 2020 wasn't a mirage. 2021 was the same. 2020... Uh, so, like, let's get... Let's just move on. And then we brought Musgrave back. And we didn't really say anything about it. We just sort of let it happen. Yep. And because Wilcox didn't announce anything and he just he was back and and then, yeah, you know, we then we had fall camp and we were hyped because we had no idea we'd have the worst O-line in the history of college football. You could argue you make that case and you make that case. And but there's no way we can. And, and like, dude, like, I swear that somehow Musgrave is worse than Bo Baldwin. And it just feels like I felt like Baldwin towards the end of his yep. career with Cal was like actually no he had at all. figured out how to adapt the offense in it in enough of a way to the skill set of the players that he was working with, and I think it's something that Musgrave just doesn't do <laughs> at all. And and so yeah, like Wilcox has to own that big time. Like you went out. And you made the hire, despite the fact that, you know what I did today, it was very fun. I went and read, why was Bill Musgrave fired from his previous roles? The only role that he had any success in that was actually significant was the Raiders role, which he somehow lost anyways, which everybody was upset about Jack Del Rio with. But like, other than that, like his den, when he took over the Denver office, offense, he had one of the worst offenses in the league. And it wasn't working then. Yeah. So like... And my issue with Wilcox is, like, he goes for these more experienced hires. And I thought, like, if you actually look at his press conference when he was starting at Cal, man, does he look young. He looks so young. But he's not young anymore. So, like, lose that mindset. You're an experienced head coach. You're a six-year head coach now. So now you need to go out and you need to trust yourself. You have proven that you can put together an elite-level defense. Sermon and Wilcox are a fantastic combination, elite level defense led by the secondary. So that is great. You have that big, that box is checked. Now you need to go out and figure it out on the offensive side. And it, but it's not a retread hire. It's not a retread. It's not the old hire that gives you the experience or was like, it's not the cheeky one. It's like, go and get the offensive coordinator that can be a little bit younger that can be more innovative, that might force you to have to think about how your defense can adapt to it, 
but your confidence is there because you've proven you have proven success. So you can take more of a risk, right? We could afford the defense to regress slightly if the offense were to improve dramatically. Yeah, you can That is a trade we can make. Right. Basically what you're saying is you're you're willing to give up another field goal defensively like in terms of points per game because you know the offense is going to score another touchdown. Right. You're you're taking you're taking that four point gamble. Which are which I think most if you're if you're fine with it, I think everyone should be fine with that. So like that's what it comes back to back down to is we talked about the finances, we talked about all that. Like that's the current state of where we're at, and that's where I see us moving forward. Now everyone's asking about Musgrave. I have a couple questions here that I'll I'll read in a little bit. I went back and looked at Musgrave's contract from when I pulled it out last year or this summer. His contract expires January first, twenty twenty three. It's a one-year deal. All right, um, that's that's where we're currently at. But in terms of that, people are people are starting to ask these questions. So, um, Shavit has another one about Milner or rotating. Um, I think we kind of we kind of discussed that. Uh, William sends us a question about uh, the style of offense, and I think I'll ask that second. But here's a couple of parentheses. Hopefully, parentheses. Musgrave be fired tomorrow. Who would best be the candidate to take over the play calling? Be Toller, AT, or Christ? Um, Tyler Tomei also tweets at us. I read that the buyout was only for an additional season, like $4 million. I find that hard to believe. So, um, Callie Scotty, after six years of mediocre offensive play, can some of this be blamed on Wilcox's hyper-focus on managing their turnover margin? It sounds like practice have a lot more excitement with unique play calling, but when it comes to games, Plummer's afraid to take chances. Thoughts? FYI, I hate Musgrave, but we had similar issues with Bo Baldwin being creative. Maybe an offense coordinator I'd screwed under a Wilcox-led regime. Many, oh, Maybe any offensive coordinator would be screwed under a Wilcox led regime is what he's saying. I have such a hard time believing that. I I don't know. It just seems way it seems to me like with when that was happening with the air raid, it made way more sense. It's like, yeah, the style of offense yeah. it has to have a specific style of defense with it or it really hurts the defense overall. Like there does seem to be a real penalty for running that style of offense. But it seems weird to have an elite defense that somehow wouldn't be compatible <laughs> with a good offense. And and maybe it's they're saying, okay, it's Wilcox has his, his hands in the offense. I don't know. I mean, the dude doesn't strike. He doesn't ever come across as micromanager. Plain and simple. Just really never comes across as someone that's overly involved. I think... I honestly think that's kind of a fan-driven narrative more than like something that's actually based in, you know, actual reporting. Like I think the one thing I can point back to is you and I were both at that football 101 with Wilcox a few years back. And he talked about cuz someone asked him about I, the one I always go back to is he someone asked him about analytics and how much he uses analytics like in game to make decisions. And he basically said there's a guy who, you know, kind of tells him on the go when they need it, the analytics of certain situations, like your chances of making this, you know, fourth down conversion is this much, you know, when it comes by analytical standards. And 
and he'll make those decisions. But he said ultimately the the big play call, what they call, so on, like he leaves it up to the coordinators. Like off, like he was it was Bo at the time, and he was saying, look, like I'll tell him, like hey, if we get this, if we get this third down and we make it within you know third and two, we're going for it on fourth down, right? He'll make those calls. And sometimes he says some of those calls are based on his gut feeling. Sometimes he goes against what analytics say. Um, sometimes he goes with what analytics does. But he doesn't put a hand in to we need to run the ball here or we need to we need to run this specific play here. Um, and so, like, just off of that, like, I don't think he's changed from that at all. Every head coach puts, puts their handprint on every team that they coach, right? And so maybe... And maybe the the, I mean, we talked about it a bunch of times, right? About the 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 hesitation to make throws because you're so worried about the turnover, and maybe that's the imprint that Wilcox has yeah. on his teams is because he pushes yep. that narrative so much. But in terms of the micromanaging, like I think that's just a fan narrative that we think is being pushed, um, or that is that we think is happening. That I don't think actually really has any any basis in what's actually happening at Memorial Stadium behind those doors. Yeah, I mean, if anything, turnover margin has been a bit of an issue for us in a couple of these losses. And I haven't felt that sense that we were somehow... We're running like five wide sets (laughs) and passing a lot. Like, it just is not the same... There was definitely that feeling that I just haven't had that feeling this year. It feels like we've actually have given more freedom to open up the playbook, to be more aggressive, but we're just not executing. The players are simply not executing. And I know Wilcox harps on this and says the players are not executing. But at some point, you have to look at the coaches and say, Hey, dude, you're teaching this guy how to execute, and he's not getting it. It is happening. That's what. I, but it's it's being it's failing every single time. At some point, you go, maybe right. maybe this isn't the way we need to execute. Maybe it's some we need to do something else. Right, and that's where we our ability to adapt is god awful. Been proven to be. So terrible. I guess it comes down to that question, right? Should and and by swamp hunt, swamp hunter should slash hopefully Musgrave be fired tomorrow. Who would be the best candidate to take over? Also, William, I'll go back to William's question. Would you prefer Cal to run a pro style offense or try to go back to an air air raid style with our personnel? What makes more sense? Is this problem Musgrave system specifically, or is play calling, or can Cal ever run a pro style offense successfully? Can I can I kind of cheat on this answer and use what Wilcox says all the time? Is that yes. offenses yeah. these days aren't really? There's no more real quote unquote pro style. There's no more real quote unquote spread. It's all kind of everything is can like everything merges, right? You're gonna take some air raid concepts. You're gonna take some pro style like old West Coast style is I think what people refer to as pro style um, concepts, and it's all gonna be used throughout. Sure, there are teams that use like ninety percent of a certain thing. But like, there's no more like set, and I don't. I honestly don't think an air raid style works anymore. Um, those, it's clear. Like you, you see when we play, like our defenses can lock down an air raid offense easily, right? I think it's it's overdone now, and it's it's easily. becoming one of those things that everyone's starting to read easily, which is why Andy has been saying we need more innovative 
We need we need that guy to take whatever is currently like cool looking and great and working in college football and being able to adapt that into that next step or that next evolution and is willing to take some of those risks. That's what we need. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that answers the question. Like, would you prefer a pro cell offense? I I definitely don't want Sonny's air raid offense back. Like, that's that's for sure. I want something in between. Like the one, the style I want is that power running spread offense that Oregon used to run when they had like Legarrette Blunt and uh, who was uh, who was their other like big running back, Royce Williams or Royce Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman, yeah, Lamichael. and, and Lamichael James to a, oh. to a certain degree too. But like that that style of like we can run up the middle at forty yards, right? That's just how our offense is so flexible. That's the kind of offense that would run. Like, based uh, coming off of that, and this is my hot take, I guess, for the day. I would much rather have guys that are successful here at Cal than are successful in the pros. Like, we could talk about Aaron Rodgers. We could talk about, like, Deshaun Jackson. We could talk about, like, you know, Jalen Hawkins or Ashton Davis or, you know, all of those guys that we've had success in the pros with. But... I would much rather them explode here and like get us to, you know, a Pac-12 championship game or like get us that get us that thing than us going like, look, yeah, that guy went to Cal. Haha. Great. Awesome. Yeah, but it doesn't it, it, yeah, we can point to that and say that's great, but like we don't it doesn't like put another trophy <laughs> yeah. in our cabinet. It puts a trophy in gr- the Green Bay Packers. I I don't know. I think that stuff matters. I think one begets the other. Like the success of you as a collegiate program would then that, that the NFL becomes a byproduct of that. But I'm 100% with you, dude. It's like they were talking about the Niners Falcons today and how they're sure. saying that no one really runs the offense that the Niners runs that run. Yeah. And then they're saying that nobody runs the offense that the Falcons run. That's kind of like yeah. what I want. Like I want somebody that's going to do something like I don't want the old what used to be popular in the 90s. Like, it didn't work when the Raiders hired that old-ass coach. <laughs> what was his no. name? Um, and it's not working now. So, no, it was like, uh, remember this dude? Oh, gosh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Gruden. Are you talking about Gruden? Um, but he was coach of the Raiders, and his philosophy was like, I mean, Singletary kind of did it too with the Niners, you know? Singletary came out, and he's like, we're going to do 85 Bears. It's like the NFL's and it's like, no, it's like progressed beyond that point now. So it's and a lot of people kind of (laughs) sometimes think, oh, if you if you go back and you can do this, like it would still work today because no one else is doing it. That's their mentality. They're going full galaxy brain. Yes. See, Crumble didn't like that one at all. So uh, stressing out my mini poodle. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I want something that is more unique and i think like that's the opportunity that this presents for cal is like there isn't the pressure here to succeed that exists at an oregon or a utah or a ucla or these other schools so why not bring in something that is far more radical it's in line with who we are and it may work uh sometimes and it may spectacularly fail others but I think on the days that it would work, it'd be more fun than being mediocre for two straight seasons. Sure. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And, but, and even to that degree, it's just like it gives you the opportunity to do something different 
It gives you the opportunity to do something that nobody else is doing. And if it were to work, like your ceiling is raised so much higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're also saying to Wilcox, like, you can't miss this. So what is somebody going to do in a situation where they can't miss? They're probably going to make a conservative hire. Yeah. Improve the margins. Because yeah. you're not saying, go have fun, kid. Take the, the Ferrari for a ride, and there's no rules. You're sort of saying, you know, did you do you have your license? Uh, is there a parent <laughs> that's going to be in the car? Who's you your know, collateral? Who's, uh, make sure to put a deposit down. <laughs> you know, you're you're putting all of the rules and stipulations. So it's like I almost would say Wilcox has job security. He could probably miss on this <laughs> coordinator hire and still be fine. I would want him to go in with that mindset and be like, be free to fail. But there's no chance that we're going to do that. I think Knowlton's going to go in that conversation and be like, you need to get this hire right. And so I, I don't know. It kind of hamstrings the overall situation. And the last time I asked for a younger, more innovative coach, and I said it was okay and I would be okay if it went the other way, it was like me talking myself into a recruiting first basketball coach who ended up being Wyking Jones, and that was like the worst hire of all time. So that's why none of you all should listen to me anyways. <laughs> <laughs> like – Someone asked. I think someone else was asking, like, who would you, who would you want, or or whatever. I think I don't know who would take over play calling duties uh, if Musgrave were to be fired tomorrow. I think it'd probably be Toller, just because that's the position group that you probably want to utilize the most. Um, with the with yeah, with that, I think if you can get someone in as an analyst, like a Paul Christ, I think that would help immensely. If you were going to make that change, I think you do that at the same time, right? You, if you're letting go of Musgrave, you let him go. You bring in Paul, like a guy like Paul Christ as an offensive analyst, you know, on a six month contract, and then uh, and then you go from there. But yeah, I don't know who would who would take over this because it's not like we have guys with other roles. Like you know, we don't have a passing game coordinator or you know a, a co offense coordinator or whatever. So Jed Fish would have been a perfect hire. Yeah, except he's right? the head. Yeah, in, in no, this sense, but he yeah. was like, he was an O coordinator. Yeah, he was available. Yeah, he was a he was a candle. He was a. So yeah, I mean, right now, right. who would I go for? Like, I think the hot ones. It's like, well, look, we're not hiring a standing offensive coordinator from a Power Five team. I don't think that's possible. I think the only possible one you could probably think of is maybe Mike Sanford from who we just played at Colorado. Right, whoever they, I, I hope they hire him as their head coach because I think he's 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 done a phenomenal job over two weeks, and he's young and he's gonna he's gonna stay there for a while and he's a little bit more galvanized with the fan base and all that. But we're galvanizing the fan base. Um, but I think what you have to do is you have to go for a position coach from like an offense or one of those offenses that are prolific and the guy has like that second title. He is the passing. You know who I want who? Joe Brady. We can't afford that. <laughs> we absolutely cannot afford Joe Brady. It's top of my list. I mean, that, that I, look, that's a phone call you make. That's 100% a phone call you make. But do you have the finances available? I, I guess you could you could argue that Wilcox could go to the donors be like, look, we're bringing in an NCAA winning, like championship winning offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Yeah. And he's the QB coach right now. Well, he's fired. 
Isn't he fired? No, he's with the Bills. Oh, oh, he's with the Bills. That's right. He's with the Bills. Yeah. So he's just a QB coach with the Bills right now. I mean, yeah, that's my pipe dream. There's no way. That's a pipe. This, this is just never going to happen. But that's the type of that's the type of coach I think I would like to see. I mean, he's had proven success at the collegiate level, and that's that's also one of the any of your offensive talent. Plain and simple, right? Like, you think the wide receivers are going to leave if he brings in an offense yeah. that produced the likes of Jamar Chase and and Jefferson? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. You think you, the fact that he's sitting as a QB coach right now is insane? But I think it says to me that he wants to stay in the NFL. Yeah, because otherwise he could have any job he wanted. He could have. T- he, he could have had have the LSU job. job. If he had stayed at yeah. LSU, he could probably have the LSU job. But I think like he could have already come back and gotten a head coaching job if he wanted it. So I don't know. I don't know. I look at that, um, but that's. That's where my head's at. Yeah. Got to get it right. Get somebody that's been successful with collegiate recruiting. Understand how important recruiting is to your success. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's why for me, my look, that's a great pull, by the way. But I think who I would look to, I don't have a specific name, but I'd look at just down the list, who's creating some of the most innovative offenses in college football right now? Tennessee. Wake Forest, you look at those and you go, look, we can't pull their offensive coordinators, but what can we pull? We can pull their quarterback coach. Like, you know, give them a raise, give them a chance to be uh, an offensive coordinator. And they're coming from such a competitive program that they know the importance of recruiting. So that's that checks that box. You have a guy who's now one at the collegiate level that p- checks another box. He's going to be bringing a playbook that's innovative and at the forefront of college football right now that checks another box. Mm-hmm. That's ki- yeah. that's kind of the – and they're most likely going to be young. So you that's the type of hire and pull you're going to need to make now. I look, I look at it like the Giants hiring the assistant GM for the, from the Astros. Yeah. Exa- exactly the same. Proven program that has a focus on development and, like, scouting. Yeah. And has but tasted success. hundred – and tasted success, but super, and he's young. <laughs> Hungry. Right? And, like, that's why that model is the way it is in the MLB now where the VP of player, you know, it's, like, why Andrew Friedman and Farhan and, like, all these guys aren't called GMs and, yeah, you know, and, and then Scott Harris. Is, Scott Harris is the perfect example of, like, the young 35-year-old that gets hired as a GM, but it's not actually that. It's, like, that's the type of hire we're asking to make. I think that's perfect. It's exactly that. Yeah, so if you can't call Joe Brady, <laughs> I think that's the next calls you make. And it makes perfect sense. The last question I'm going to leave you with, Andy, and I don't really want to ask this, but someone asked this, so we might as well talk about it. Scale of 1 to 10, where is Justin Wilcox's hot seat? Uh, probably like a 3. You think it's at like a 3? I would say like from an administration standpoint, he's probably at a 3. From a fan standpoint, he's like at a 14. It's 14 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like administration-wise, his job's super safe. Yeah, I think he's... he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere unless he decides he wants to go somewhere else. If he wants to resign or if he wants to, to do something different. This this dude was just offered the Oregon job twice and turned it down. Which is still amazing when you think about it. But at the same time, like 
yeah um and even then yeah even then that would be only on the back of i think a three and nine season to really make that happen exactly you would need more circumstances to arise for someone to even come up with that cash and you're talking about a hundred million dollar investment in order to like really turn around the program or maybe 50 million like it's just it's a big 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 figure so yeah if you know any cal billionaires but i looked at the list not a lot. There's a lot of successful Cal graduates, but just not that many that have that billion dollar oil money. Are we trying to like bring in some like Saudi Emirate? Like is that <laughs> is that what we're alluding to? Yeah, I was actually working with the people from Live Golf. Oh, good and, lord! And uh, we're gonna sell our soul to the to the, to the proverbial devil in order to uh, get this program turned around. Oh God! <laughs> oh, oh goodness! Uh, I think that's it. That's a good conversation, Andy. I think uh, think we have anything else to talk about? I'm wrapped. I'm 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 tapped out too. And uh, shout out to my mom. It's her birthday, so I'm gonna head over to my parents' house for a, a happy birthday dinner. Woo-hoo. But yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, folks. That's ra- that wraps it up first. I hope that's a good enough conversation to help you kind of process what happened on Saturday. Also this week, um, shout out to, I can't remember his name, but I, I showed Andy the, the picture, the guy who texted us during the, the live stream for the kind words, um, if you're a listener, uh, for us for years now, and uh, this is how you kind of process Cal losses or wins to, to either celebrate or just uh, be depressed. <laughs> I hope we can be that for you um, and we appreciate all of the listens and all of the the text messages the tweets um, we try to get through all of them just so because we know that it helps you guys if you guys are, and your voices are heard and, and acknowledged as well so we appreciate it we hope you continue to do it um, you can find all our stuff written at rightforcalifornia.com you can find our podcast wherever because you're already listening to it you can find us on twitter at golden bearcast you can find me at rob 11 hwang i'm pot on twitter you can find andy on twitter but he does not have twitter so he won't be responding to you and go bears go bears Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.